We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now. You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top five show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and the Lakers are now up 3-1 to in the Western Conference Finals, one win away from the NBA Finals, after a slugfest of a Game 4, winning 114-108. to This was a great playoff game. It was, I, I forgot, <laughs> Darius, how, how nauseous <laughs> a good playoff game involving the Lakers can make, can make me. It was uh, a battle from early on w- between Jamal Murray and Anthony Davis in that first quarter. The, there was just ridiculous shot making, especially by Murray, who we're going to get into a little more in, in this pod. Uh, I just want to take a little bit of joy in for yeah. before we get into the analysis, man. That was a great playoff game. It's been I feel like we haven't had one like this in these playoffs yet, right? Like where the other team keeps coming. Like we were playing well, and I'm like, oh, we're up five, man, and we've been playing okay. Like, well, it it, it was one of those games, man, where every time the Lakers look like. Like, okay, it's five, and then, oh, little mini run, right? And so this was a game of mini runs by by the Lakers and then strong counters 
by the Nuggets in order to make sure that they never got outside of arm's reach, right? And so whenever the Lakers got it to 10 or 12 points, it was a, a quick like five points from Denver or or like a nine to two or nine to four exchange, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, okay, well, both teams are scoring, but they've now got it back to within four or six. And it's like Undertaker music, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like you can't get rid of these guys. And those types of games are just, they make you so anxious as a mm-hmm. fan, man. Yeah. And and it's so nerve-wracking. Um the the value and sort of import of of every possession mm-hmm. just keeps going up and up and up, right? And and like as the game goes on, everything is magnified. And um as a guy just sitting at your house on the couch watching it, there is this there is this helplessness of like what the hell is going to happen next and are they going to be able to hold on and oh no oh no oh no there he uh-huh. goes again right there is just there is this outsized reaction to every single play and honestly it's it's this huge adrenaline rush to be a part even as a fan right of of that type of game and it's crazy because this was a game in 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 a bubble environment with no crowd with no and honestly I didn't think about that once during this game because mm-hmm. the stakes of it and the level of intensity that the from players were putting yeah. out there right from both sides and them pushing that out like th- you felt it through the TV screen about how seriously they were taking it, yeah. which was something that we talked about the last pod, right? A- a- about like that that appropriate fear and that level of engagement. And that was something that both teams had for the entire game. And when that's the case, um, it does make it different. And, and that does make it different from the types of games the Lakers have mostly played these these playoffs, right? Like before we started recording, I said that was a capital P playoff game. Yeah, and and it has been a while since the Lakers had one one of those. Like, remember the feeling that you had watching like um, Game Six of the 2010 Western Conference Finals, mm-hmm. um, Kobe yeah. against the Suns, and, and him sort of putting on that show of 37 points and like the butt slap to Alvin Gentry mm-hmm. at the end, but but just sort of the back and forth nature of that game and how you felt like someone was going to need to go and win it, right? Yep. And from Denver's side, Jamal Murray was doing his damnedest to He's be the so player good, who was going to <laughs> win that game for, yeah. for his team. And on the Lakers side, it was much more of group effort, right? But they manufactured points and they found ways to like get to the foul line or get a turnover here and get an open court basket or we're going to get an offensive rebound. They just kept making little play after little play and it was honestly man just 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 a great basketball game to watch and as a fan of of one of the teams, like so stressing, especially the one that won, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I was going to say that next. But as a as a fan of the team who actually won the game, it's so gratifying and and like such a pressure release, right? To feel 
just grateful and thankful that your team pulled pulled it out. Just just what a fantastic game. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier that decisions uh, or that every play matters and every decision matters, especially the last pod was titled adjustments. And we talked about both personnel and schematic uh, changes that we might see the Lakers make. Uh, They inserted Dwight Howard into the starting lineup. They had JaVale McGee come off of the bench to start the second quarter for the first time. That's the first time JaVale hasn't started, but has played in a different shift. Uh, I believe they did that to address some of the athleticism discrepancies. And that was that was my I'd wanted Morris to start. This actually works out better, right? Because obviously the the Howard Jokic matchup is is great and favorable. I've just been worried about that second unit, right? Like that do we have enough athleticism? We really yeah. got burned with our small ball lineup that was great against Houston. They've been awful in this series. Put JaVale out there for five minutes. We were plus three in those minutes, but JaVale specifically was kind of rough in those minutes. So we did not go back to that in the fourth quarter. We went to that small ball lineup again, and then we closed with the lineup that I wanted to see us start with. And that's where we pulled away from the from the Nuggets in the last few minutes of that game. So we, I felt like we survived those no big minutes, right? And uh, yeah. I thought that was when Rondo was especially... Like he he had a great stretch that really helped us survive, and then AD came back in with nine forty three left, I believe. So it was it was fine. If AD is going to be playing the forty two minutes, you know we can go small for a couple minutes and survive it. Um, but Darius, the the overall impact of this change of putting Dwight in the starting lineup, yeah, both in terms of him individually and its impact on the team. What did you see? I mean, individually. I thought Dwight was amazing Phenomenal. this game. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really great high-level role-player game from a guy who used to be a super-duper star in this league, right? Um, I think I saw someone tweet this out before the game, but it's the first time since um, 1990 that a team has started three overall number one picks like on the same team right and that was also a Lakers team um that was the year after Kareem retired and it was Michael Thompson Mm -hmm. who magic and and magic and and James Worthy right and so for for the Lakers they had that three number one pick um trio for a long time right when it was Jabbar um Mm -hmm. and not Michael Thompson but it's been that long right and so 30 years and and the Lakers had Dwight Howard in there, and I just thought he made such an impact, um, honestly, offensively, even Mm -hmm. more so than defensively. His work on the offensive glass was just otherworldly. You you know, talk to me some about this, because if you had any concerns about Dwight coming in and starting this this game um i know i was while i didn't have concerns it was for me it was just like is he gonna cut out some of the antic sure. stuff is sure. he gonna play 100 percent focused is he going to avoid cheap fouls right like to me those were the question marks that that, that i had that if they went against him it could be not so great for the Lakers overall and for Dwight in 
well, well, individually, but we didn't see any of that. Talk to me, though, about what you saw from Dwight as an individual player, both offensively and defensively, because I just thought he was so good, man. He flipped the rebounding battle in our favor. I thought he was the person primarily responsible for that. There's been a lot of talk about AD's low rebounding numbers, which I thought were more problematic in Game 3 than in this game, specifically because Dwight Howard was down there gobbling them up. Um, my, I, I didn't have a concern about Dwight starting, right? Like D- Dwight's minutes against Jokic are great. It's those beginning of the second, beginning of the fourth, small, small lineups, uh, you know, where we made, made some adjustments, uh, or, or, and perhaps got a little bit fortunate, right. And, and well-timed play there, but Dwight's physicality on the offensive boards, it put Jokic in foul trouble. Yeah. He can, he can defend on the ball on Jokic more effectively than JaVale or our other guys can, right? Because Dwight, Dwight gets in one of the better defensive stances in the league, right? He is picture perfect. If you're coaching a high school team, chop up some Dwight footage in that he's going to get his shoulders square, his arms out wide. He's going to slide his feet. He's going to be on the balls of his feet, very active. And so with... Denver initiating so much of their offense through Jokic, Dwight did a great job of limiting Jokic as a scorer because what Jokic will do is if you leave him in single coverage, if he's against a JaVale type guy, he's going to get past him and get to the basket, right? And use his body and, you know, ball fakes and ball handling to gain an advantage, use his body to seal that advantage and then score on him. He cannot win that physical battle against Dwight and Dwight is laterally quick enough to stay with Jokic where his ball handling is not going to going to hurt him. So Jokic only scored 18 points in this game on in 36 minutes. You'll live with that uh, all day. And so that he comes with some difficulties on like defending Murray off of the handoffs and, and screens, right? And that's a, t- a tandem thing with our uh, with our guards, where he's he's not as good in that respect. And I think that's why we didn't go back to him down the stretch of that game. But the impact on the on the offensive boards specifically, and just controlling the rebounding game in general, and then being able to defend Jokic on the perimeter in single coverage really helped limit what what Jokic could do specifically. And so yeah, just those increased minutes against Jokic, if if that's that's worth more than what we give up in that early second quarter, early fourth quarter type lineups. Well, look, man, I tweeted this out and now I don't have the number right in front front of me. Maybe I can grab it really quickly. Um but that starting group didn't actually defend so great, mm-hmm. right? But they were just so good on offense. Sure. That it's like it didn't matter that. So the new star starting lineup played 17 minutes together. They had a defensive rating of 116.1, right? Mm-hmm. Like woof, basically, mm-hmm. right? But their offensive rating was 143.3. Right. That's the so, thing with Denver. It's like, we've got to outscore Denver in some respects. They've got the way their offense is constructed is 
they they match up pretty well against our defense because they initiate it from a different place and from a different type of player. So we're we're more constructed for like Murray's going off right for one he's hitting ridiculous shots. We'll get into him, but uh, but part of that is because you can't take more attention off of yeah. the big guy right because of Jokic. No, that's right. And so one of the key things that you so there was a domino effect with the matchup between Dwight and Jokic, right? And so his. I think that you're 100% right about his physicality and his ability to to sort of defend Jokic better all over the floor than maybe even Anthony Davis, right? Like just because Dwight is Dwight's a sturdier defensive player, right? Like he is stronger. Um he is Dwight was always like, oh, he's like, oh, Dwight's a seven footer, but he's not seven feet, right? Like he mm-hmm. he he is more like six ten, six ten and a half. He can get lower than Jokic, and sitting in that defensive stance helps. Um, and, and so the foul trouble, the ability to defend him one on one. So not only did Jokic, I think in that first quarter, Jokic only took one field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of that was because uh, of Jamal Murray's exploits as <laughs> mm-hmm. as a ball handler, right? And they weren't necessarily going to Jokic as much. That said, if you're Dwight Howard and your primary defensive assignment is the other team's, in theory, best player. Now, in this game, Murray was their best player, right? But in the big picture, their best player is still Jokic. If you can defend him one-on-one... yeah. What have we said is one of the more important things about being able to defend Jokic. It it is the ability to do it in single coverage and not have to send a second defender. You talked about the 16 points. To me, one of the bigger numbers is the four assists, right? So he only had four assists. Right. If he's scoring 18 points but getting 12 dimes, right, that's just a matter of how they were, you know, how they were defending him. But yeah, we limited him in that respect, too. And so the best, so Jokic is going to be at his best when he's like in the 25 and like eight assist range, right? Mm -hmm. Like those are basically his playoff numbers. And so to hold him down in both categories is important. And one of the ways that you do do that is through capable individual defense, right? And it wasn't all Dwight, um, the Lakers went zone a little bit early in the game. Um, they got some stops that way. And I thought in the first half especially, they were able to sort of of mishmash their defensive approach enough to build up um, cushion, right? You were never going to – the way that Denver was, shoot, was shooting the ball, the Lakers were never going to run away from them. Right? right, Denver's offense was was too good, but they needed to find enough possessions. And this is what I wrote in my preview at Forum Blue and Gold that they need to grab back control of five to ten more defensive possessions over the course of a game than they have been, because in essence, Denver has been controlling the tempo and the flow of their offensive possessions, like. 90, 95% of the time over the last two 
two games, and the Lakers needed to find a way to take some of that back. And I thought they did better a better job of that in the first half. So this is something that you've you've mentioned a couple of times on Twitter and in our conversations about Murray is way too comfortable. Yeah. Right? And you know, he hit that Jordan layup in <laughs> in the first half, and that was probably like the third best shot that he made in this game. He his shot making is extraordinary. He had that one on the baseline where he jumped off his right foot while drifting to the left and like contorting and twisting his body back and hit a uh, like 15 footer over AD's outstretched arms. It was perfect defense. Um what can first off, so he's absolutely just phenomenal the shots he's making. The lefty, you know, floating one uh leaning away was a, a Kobe-esque type of shot, right? What can the Lakers do to make him less comfortable? Because while I do agree with you that we made them less comfortable at points in the first half, I thought we did a better job of that in the second half when LeBron switched on to him specifically. Sure. Yeah. Right. Is is that something that we're gonna need to look toward LeBron and on ball with Murray going forward more? Or is there a way to do that, especially with Jokic in the game, where we can make life a little more difficult on him in a way that doesn't get us burned by a Jokic four on three? I worry about, so I think there's always two ways to try to shut down an individual player, right? There's like, do we have an individual defender? And are there changes we can make schematically? Right. Um, I worry about making too big of a schematic change Mm -hmm. at this point because I'm not sure if they have the reps in order to like actually execute it. So at one point during the game, I thought, man, like, should they start weaking screens or should they start like sending him in a single direction every single time just in order to line up your defense Mm -hmm. a little bit better or have better help position on him. And then I thought, oh, can I trust these guys? Like, even though the Lakers are a high-functioning defense, right? Like, can I trust them to not mess that up? Mm-hmm. And, and like, for the guard to actually be able to get up on the high side of, of a screen to turn him left, and then for the big man to be there, can you trust the help behind that if he makes the over-the-top pass to Jokic, for, for example? Are they going to be playing in too many four-on-threes? And I thought to myself, ah, no, okay. That's too many variables there. Someone just needs to man up sure. and stop him. And later in the game, LeBron sort of stepped up to that challenge, and I thought he did a really good job overall. I do not think you can ask LeBron to defend Jamal Murray for a full game mm-hmm. and actually get enough offensively from him. Um on the other side, LeBron's all <clears throat> look. The Lakers have gotten a fair amount of rest in between series, mm-hmm. right? Um, but they have not gotten any extra days off in the middle of a series. Sure, and yeah, they were. This is you were looking how they were walking off the court today, right? Like it was, uh, yeah. They they've been feeling this series. LeBron's been tired at the end of almost every game. He's been tired. His minutes have gone up in. The last, against Denver for sure, and I know they started to do this versus Houston too, but the Houston games, the Lakers were generating leads enough where like they were able to give him more in-game rest. 
Um, but against the Nuggets, like, look, man, he's going out at the six minute mark and he's and then he's coming back right in and he's wrapping around the first quarter and then he's taking another break and then he's come coming back again and he's exerting more energy on defense. He's exerting a ton of mental energy on offense, the way that the Nuggets are defending him, um, he's having to make so many decisions and read so many layers of the defense, right? Like not only his primary defender, but two or three help defenders and what their alignment is. And he's trying to dissect that in order to make the right pass every single time. To me, it's one of the reasons why his turnovers have been up this series. It's it's not because he's still not supercomputer LeBron. It's just because like these are complex schemes that he's facing. Mm-hmm. He's still trying to get into the paint. He's still trying to make the right read. And then mentally, as he wears down, he's taking more risks mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then there are times where he's settling. So I don't want more of the settling LeBron, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that there are times where if he's defending Murray and they can get a stop or a turnover and he can get a run out and get an easy basket. But that's going to happen once every what? 10 possessions, mm-hmm. 15 possessions. Right. Um, I don't know what else to do against Murray if he's going to be playing at this level. Like, this is a really high level that he's playing at. Like, this is like Kyrie in the 2016 finals level. Like, yeah. th- that's an unbelievable player that the Lakers had to deal with this game. The shot making was un believable yeah and you know you had talked about this um sorry this this is a tangent but you had talked about how some of the jumpers that ad was making against portland right Mm -hmm. and how like the net wasn't even moving Mm -hmm. right like there's no front rim or back rim it's it's just like this is going like right through and the net's like not even moving that was murray's jumper all game yeah yeah that's he's I'm generally happy with the defense that we're playing on Murray. Like several, a lot of these shots are like, hey man, great shot. I'd I'd like to see us defend their handoff action a little bit differently, right? Uh, I'd like to see him hitting threes while on the move laterally, left and right. So I'm as crazy as this sounds, I'd like to see us go under with the guard to beat him to the spot on that and make him uh, break off his route. Um, or at least show him that look from time to time. But by and large, I'm happy with the defense that we've played on him. Um, in that second half, though, LeBron, LeBron's versatility as a defender, you alluded to this a bit in a tweet, but if they're going to run Jokic and Murray ball screens toward the end of the game, as teams often do, and they did in this game, LeBron is able to defend both guys to some mm-hmm. degree of competency and that allows for like for switching for hedges and recovers uh it it lets the defense be less compromised as a result of LeBron's versatility to be able to do both, especially if AD is being involved in those actions as well. Um we actually had Markeith Morris who I thought was an interesting uh assignment he was defending Jokic for a decent number of those minutes it was also after AD tweaked his ankle so maybe that had something to do with it but if if healthy LeBron and AD is the defenders on a Murray Jokic 
ball screen action when it comes to winning time, I think we're going to see that again. We're not going to see that though, due to the amount of, uh, you know, this, this series is taking something out of the Lakers, right? This is a hard fought series and you're not going to be able to put LeBron on Murray for the full stretch. But I do think that they unlocked something there that when they have to get some stops on Murray, LeBron did a fantastic job. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the offensive end where I thought we struggled a bit uh, in our half court sets, but we also got some tremendous performance from Anthony Davis. Uh, so yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll get to the offensive end and see where the Lakers can uh, improve a bit to get the the closeout on this on this series. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to indeed.com backslash podcast. Terms and conditions apply, and the offer is valid through September 30th. The NBA and NHL are playing for gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports. And remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day and all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So in that first quarter, Anthony Davis was just hitting... Absurd shots, matching Murray shot for shot. His triple threat and (laughs) triple threat is when you can shoot, dribble or pass from a a position when you're faced up to the basket and just his jab steps and his turnarounds like several of those shots were like these are these are best player in the game type shots, right? Like he's he's right up there with like these are the hardest shots in the game to make and the thing that I'm realizing more and more with Anthony Davis is that he controls a vertical plane that very few other players can get to and his balance down low allows him to elevate and he's got kind of a natural fade on his shot too which helps and but just the the shot making we've talked about it more more and more I actually want to start on the after giving AD some props for that, LeBron is frustrating me in the half court. He has three-point attempts available to him, that little sidestep, right? It's whenever he wants it. He only took three in this game, and he ended up with, you know, like 26 and eight and nine, right? And, uh, but his jumper he's was so off. Good. Yeah, he's so he's good. So, he's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I loved the... We saw him more in the post with those small lineups in the fourth quarter. Got to the line as a, as a result of that. 
LeBron just does not feel seem comfortable with his jump shot right now, mm-hmm. though. Um, what are you seeing from him in half-court sets? So, look. LeBron, to me, is the ultimate... So this is where supercomputer brain brawn comes in. Or, you know how... So, I don't know. There was a point in time in my life where, for some reason, I got into watching poker on TV. Uh-huh. Did you ever watch poker on uh-huh. TV? I did. That's one of those things where, like, I can be like, oh, I just lost 40 minutes watching that, right? It, it's very engrossing. And And so... The best poker players in the world, right, they are constantly doing math in their head, right, because, and they're trying to read what the other guys have in terms of cards and, like, what do I have, what's showing, especially, like, Texas Hold'em, right, which is what I used to watch. And so, they're always calculating odds, and I feel like that's how LeBron's brain works on a basketball court. It's he is constantly calculating odds. And I think that what he's constantly trying to do is create the most favorable odds, both for himself and for his team. Mm. And I feel like one of the things that tilts him in either direction is how is a possession unfolding and how much is he dictating how a possession unfolds. And so when... You talk about LeBron not being as comfortable with with his jumper. One of the things that I see is that the defense is telling LeBron, you take this jumper now. And LeBron is calculating those odds in his head and sort of saying, the best play right now is not me taking this jumper. The best play is something different. Mm-hmm. And... He needs to try to find a way to flip that in his head where he is becoming the aggressor as a jump shooter rather than him seeing that as a last out for him. Because when he takes jumpers as it being the last out, yeah, that's when, to me, he looks uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's because he knows that he's settling mm-hmm. and he knows that there's no other option at that point as favorable as that. And I think that that messes with his head a little bit, honestly, because it's not him who is deciding, oh, I've got the matchup I want now. I can drive by him if I want, but I'm going to take the step back here because I know later in the game, when I get the same exact thing, I'm going to fake this step back and I'm going to go by this Mm -hmm. guy. Or I'm going to use the idea that I've taken this step back voluntarily against you in another possession. I honestly think that's how his brain works. But when the defense is saying, no, man, we're taking everything else away from you. It's time for you to make your jumper. He's like, let me pound the air out of the ball. And it is frustrating to watch because he is better. He, He is better than this. But the defense is only giving him so many options. And this is where... I need I need them to figure out more ways to create things like they need to help Braun more. I I guess I mean they are mostly disregarding him from the they're playing 
near the free throw line. The free, the free throw line, when you're at the top of the key, where LeBron is often, the free throw line is the, you know, the boundary of we are letting you take this shot. And they're very close to that, right? And he he's looking for switches. He's trying to get Jokic on him. Jokic is playing at the free throw line, man. And like, it's, it's a keeping them honest just to get them off of you, right? This is not, sure. I'm not, this isn't something that LeBron can't do. It's just several of those possessions where I'm like, shoot the three, shoot the three, shoot it. Ended in mid-range shots that he rarely ever takes and he didn't make yeah. any of them. And it, they are so like it, at some point, yes, you can, you can do things schematically to free guys up. You can, you know, but, but in this case, like you can either take away the drive or take away the shot. And they are so overly emphasizing taking away the drive that this shot that I've seen LeBron, even in just the two years that he's been with us, like he takes that shot all the time and, and, he just doesn't look comfortable with it at all. And that's why I thought that last run in the fourth quarter where they'd clear out a side, give him a triple threat touch in the high post, especially with AD not feeling that great, right? And you're having Rondo and AC setting pin screens and slashing to dunker spots. I Like that, the personnel there can be a little bit clunky, but it he got to the line a couple of times off yeah. of that. That is the one thing that... But if LeBron, let me put it this way: If LeBron's operating from the top of the key, he has to take that shot. Yes, and I agree with that. I do think he needs to. Like I said, to me, it's more of a mentality flip where he sort of like uses the idea of like, "Oh, you want me to do this?" Well, like almost like, "Well, now it's my idea." Like, yeah. like you can't fire me. I quit. Uh-huh. Right? Like, <laughs> sure. And honestly, like I. Maybe it sounds like I'm making excuses for Wolf for him, and maybe it is an excuse. I just feel like he is such an advantage player, and I and I just think that he's he's constantly surveying the floor, looking for advantage, looking for advantage, looking for advantage, and by the and it's like the same thing that we've crushed Rondo for over the course of the season, right? Where at some point you just have to say "f it." Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to take this shot and and throw all that other stuff out, out of the window and finding a way for him to start to take some of these shots on his terms. Because what's clear to me is that almost every single one of these jumpers that he's taking feel like they're on Denver's terms. Yes. And as long as that's the case... I feel like he's going to look uncomfortable doing it. And yeah. that's why I'm saying it's more of a mentality switch for him right. than it is like how comfortable he is or isn't because he needs to create his own comfort within the context of this is what the defense is doing and I have to own that mm-hmm. more than anything else. And he needs to turn that part of his brain on where he's just like, you you know what? Like, I'm coming out and I'm going to... You're laying off. I'm going to step back and I'm just going to take this three. I'm going to find my rhythm and I'm going to take it. That said, I want to give him some credit for drawing some of the fouls that he drew, mm-hmm. for attacking the way that he attacked. There is a... There, LeBron is still 
obviously one of the best players in the game, and, and he's still one of the players who can shape a defense in a way that set something up positive for either him or or his team. Mm-hmm. And so, and I thought that he did as much he did a fair amount of that by going to the post a little bit, by hunting switches. He every you you know, Michael Porter Jr. couldn't even play at the end of the game because every single time he was on the floor, LeBron just hunted him in screen actions. He started to hunt Jamal Murray. He hunted Gary Harris. He hunted Nikola Jokic, right? Now, did those always turn out the way that we would want? No, but I think that he was starting to get alignments that he wanted defensively. Um, Is this just a matchup hunting matchup for for LeBron, you think? I I think he needs to do more of that. this was the first game where I thought he really went to that early in the game and sort of decided, like, this is something I'm going to try to do throughout the game because he did it as early as the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it basically in every single one of his shifts, right? Um, Jeremy Grant's an interesting matchup for him. He is he is long. He's athletic. He's got young legs. Um, he moves his feet well. And those are the types of players who can like give LeBron problems at times. Um, He's not super strong, but he makes up for that with his other physical tools. And, and, And so it makes sense for LeBron to sort of say, no, 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 give me Jamal Murray. No, no, no. Give me, give me Michael Porter Jr. What I wished he would have done later in the game, especially on the possessions where he got Jokic on him, was basically just say, like, I'm putting my head down and I'm just going to go at you. Mm -hmm. Like, Jokic had four fouls at one point and then he had five fouls at one point and LeBron was still shooting jumpers. At that point, I just thought, you you know what, even if he draw, even if LeBron draws a charge here, I want him to, like, force the action a little bit more. Um because you could tell he did not want to shoot the jumper. And mm-hmm. so maybe it all just does come back down to like, hey, take that jump shot and we'll live with that, I guess. But I also think that he knows Denver considers that a win and he doesn't want to give them that win. Sure. It it, it just would open up things for him so much if he just made them respect it. And he's the kind of guy that can get hot, right? And I, I think that part of it is, like you said, it's a mentality thing where he's he considers that a win for them and doesn't want to give them the pleasure of that. I think that, again, when it comes to winning time, the this series on offense in the half court, we're going to have our best success with both LeBron and Anthony Davis in the post. AD's been operating their a ton already and he's so he's got the triple threat you know the jumper covered there LeBron is more of a power post player and he's gonna rip through and he's got I love this move that he has where he like rips through and dribbles and like it's a quick pause and hesitation and then explosion back in that same direction where like the defender will react to the rip through and then 
relax for a moment and then he drives on them. But LeBron's looking like you don't see LeBron take too many of those fadeaways that he killed Toronto with, say, a couple of years ago in the playoffs. LeBron's been really fantastic at those rip throughs on the right side of the court where he drives baseline and gets to the seals the guy on his left shoulder, raises up with that. And I think it's the the variance in both of their post games where AD is more of the finesse guy and LeBron's yeah. the power guy that becomes very problematic for the Nuggets. And AD can spot up off of LeBron doing that. Um, and Le- LeBron can operate as a cutter off of AD. He can offer as a release, uh, uh, operate as a release valve as well. Um, so that that's where I think this goes in fourth quarters, especially. Yeah. And I'm curious to see, you know, what what happens with that. Um, you got any any final thoughts? Any any one or any particular parts of this game that you wanted to get to? No, like, look, man, like, oh, there's a guy that I wanted to mention. Um, our old friend, Contavious Caldwell Pope. Hell yes, he is a name we have not brought up yet. No. We talked about him a little bit before we started recording. Um, and so I wanted to bring him up here. This dude, man. He He's not hit, scared, man. You're not scared at he, all. Was it that, like, remember what how we talked about him before the playoff star started? Like, like, is he going to, like, is he going to be scared? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be reliable in a playoff game? This dude's playing hard, man. He always um, plays hard. He's, yeah just he he made so many good plays this game that three he hit fearless in the fourth quarter was just a such a big basket did you see my favorite play from him though was the corner attack the ball got kicked to him in the corner right attacked the closeout went baseline and dunked right as Jokic was stepping up and his teammates were just like, ooh, like, ooh, they uh-huh. had that look. Like, ooh, KCP caught he caught him one, right? And just the way that he was competing this game. And like I said, man, like in in a game that required a certain level, like, you know when, I don't know, man, you ever been to the club and like you Probably see not. people that are that I've been to the club a few times uh-huh. in like like in my day and I've definitely seen the line move and then some people get into the club and some people don't <laughs> right uh-huh. that that's just how how it goes and this game reminded me of that a little bit because there was a certain level of intensity you needed to be playing at in order to get into the club mm-hmm. this game right and KCP was at that level. And it's why he was, that's why he was going to close this game because he was the one that's just like, oh, yeah, okay, we've got Braun, we've got AD. The next guy you were going to name was KCP, right? Like it would have been Dwight if the lineups went a different way earlier during the fourth quarter and he had actually gotten into to the game. I, I bet he would have had a chance to be in there as well. 
but KCP was was just operating at such a high level from intensity and from a focus standpoint and from that lack of fear stand stand well standpoint that you mentioned. I just wanted to make sure that we brought him up. Man. He's been our third best player, man. Like KCP, when KCP catches. A, an open catch and shoot jumper. I think it's going to go in. I think he's our only player <laughs> that I I feel that way about for whatever my feelings are are worth, right? But he's got he stepped into that three, which was like a transition three, and he was open ish, but it wasn't yeah. a wide open shot, and he stepped into it so fearlessly uh, that there's just a certain level of being unafraid, being about it, being ready for the yeah. moment that. Uh, and that that transitions to just one guy I wanted to mention, who had been frankly driving me a little crazy for much of the series, but Rajon Rondo, yes, stepped up at the exact right time. He yes closed that game. He, it's funny he was a minus nine in this game, and partially for good reason, like for some of some defensive mistakes in particular. But the the big conundrum to me again was the start of the second and fourth quarters of like, is Denver really going to roll us? Cause that's when they did, they were like a plus 10 Mason Plumley played 10 minutes or five minutes in the last game and was a plus 10 in a game that we lost by six or eight or whatever it was. And those minutes, you know, are, are really like, gosh, how are we going to get through these? And him stepping up at that time and where he had that, you know, bowling, ball assist he had yeah. you know that beautiful ball fake where he faked it to to ad he hit a jumper and that was one of those end of shot mid-range clock jumpers uh, yeah hit a mid-range jumper as well just uh him he's one of those guys that that is the that he's still got significant holes in his game for sure but the he is going to make a play and not be afraid and that's right having some of that from the guard position especially in a game where LeBron was, I thought, struggling to initiate offense in the half court just due to everything being so jam-packed in the paint and he didn't have, he just wasn't taking that that jumper. I, I was actually, in some plays, more comfortable with Rondo handling the ball on the ball. It also gives LeBron the ability to get into the high post and have a good post-entry passer to get him yeah. the ball. And so, yeah, I just wanted to give Rondo a shout-out, man, for a guy who's who I've uh, I've been very hard on and uh, deservedly so. And he, he, again, I thought had been pretty rough throughout this series for the most part, but he we don't win this game without his contribution. Look, man, like he had a couple of plays where he was driving and like, passing on the move and like passing into players arms right mm-hmm. and like he he had a turnover like that he had another one where he passed it like literally like right into a dude's elbow and it went like right out of bounds right. and i'm just like Bro, what are you doing like, man what is like like <laughs> what what is up with this but the one thing i will say about rondo that is super useful against any defense um it was really useful against houston and i thought it came in very handy this game is he still has an ability to penetrate the ball yeah man and it's like look for all the for all the talk about like oh lebron needs to drive or how the lakers threaten the paint right with lebron and ad and with their vertical threats with dwight and javel and how they cut with like kuzma or even caruso um 
they don't have a lot of guys who just off the bounce just try to get to the front of the rim, um, especially from the guard position. And Rondo does that. Like he he ran he ran a pick and roll to get a switch to get Michael Porter Jr. on him, and then he attacked right off of that mm-hmm. and got that sort of wrong footed layup right that was on the right side of the floor. Um, that's a big shot. And it sort of, I think, played into the calculus of Michael Malone to sort of say like, oh, well, if you can't even guard Rondo out here, maybe you like you don't get into the club tonight, mm-hmm. right? Um, <laughs> R- Rondo too, man. A couple of two big offensive rebounds yeah. one late in the game to sort of steal back a possession I thought um, I thought Malone got too cute with those by the way subbing Jokic out Oh yeah let's talk about that for a second before we go because those were big offensive rebounds the Lakers got late well, well late in the game and they almost all came with Jokic on the bench when he was going offense for defense Yeah I just thought it was a I thought that was great recognition, right? By AD crashed uh, from weak side on one of the. He ended up with five boards, only had a board or two for most of the game. But um, yeah, and then Rondo, you know, skied for one. He actually mistimed it a little bit and still got got to it. Uh, yeah, that's not Jokic. I understand he's had foul trouble. I understand that he's not the greatest defender. I also think that have great players in the game. And yeah. they will make great plays for you. And like Jokic might not be able to be a great defender for 48 minutes, but he can be a great player for the last minute of a game, you know, even with yeah. foul trouble. It, 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 he can, because he's got, he's got the smarts, he's got the size, and, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. It's just sustaining that from an effort and conditioning standpoint for the course of 48 minutes. But if you need to stop, like, I don't know, you got, you got to have your best guy out there, even if he's not, you know, a, a defensive whiz because guys like that can normally lock in for one possession and and really help you. Yeah. I just, I totally agree that I thought, I think when Mike Malone goes back and sort of reviews some of the decisions that were made, he'll probably kick himself a couple of different times on, um, especially those offensive rebounds late and, and just sort of looking at his personnel that was on the floor and saying, you know, like, that's one of those, like, in the moment it made sense, but then, like, hindsight is going to tell you. Um, and some of that's results-based, too, right? Like, if one of those quick guys makes a great defensive play, then you probably go the other way and say, like, oh, great substitution, <laughs> sure. right? Like, the gamble that we made worked or the strategy that we were trying to employ, it it paid off. But... um but I do agree that in a game where every rebound mattered and that in a game where the Lakers' work on the offensive glass in particular, I thought, was super important um, to them getting this win, there were a few or a couple at least in the last two and a half minutes or so um, where every possession was just so important. The Lakers stole a couple more possessions that they maybe shouldn't have gotten or if they didn't get them then maybe this game goes the other way or or denver 
makes it a one possession game, right? Which they never got to in that final minute and a half or two two minutes. It was always four or five. And that just puts a lot of pressure on you to be perfect. And we saw that with the Lakers at the end of game three, right? Where they needed to be perfect and they couldn't be. And you often lose a game where it takes you being perfect down the stretch. Absolutely. And it was a... It was a great game. It was a great playoff game with a capital P, as you said. Lakers go up 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals. One win away from the NBA Finals. Uh, We've come so far. Hopefully we can celebrate it on Saturday night. But, you know, the Nuggets have come back from this twice. You have to kill Denver. They're not going to fade away. But tonight was a huge, gutty win when we were not at our best and we were physically beat up. Um, the Lakers were resilient, resilient in their own way and have a chance to book their first trip to the finals since 2010 on Saturday night. Uh, whether they do or not, we will be there to recap the game. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. It will. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. Bryant, yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.